Greeting, everyone, and welcome to another episode of OSI Today, the podcast featuring news and views from around the Office of Special Investigations. I'm Wayne Amon from OSI Public Affairs, and in this edition, we continue our special series, My OSI Journey, which showcases the diversity and inclusion of our command-wide members. Today, we focus for the first time on a segment of the command population known as the Individual Mobilization Augmentees, or IMAs. And here to discuss IMAs within OSI, I'm pleased to be joined by Colonel Doug Hassebrock, who serves as the IMA to the commander of OSI. Colonel, great to have you on board. Uh, So uh, great to talk to you again and uh, good to uh, be with you again, at least on your first podcast. So welcome. Yeah, thank you very much. Great to be here. I appreciate you putting this together and uh, helping us get the word out about the IMA force. Sir, let's uh, kind of begin, uh, speaking of IMA, for the, for the novice listener uh, who may be out there, uh, who may not be familiar with the term uh, individual mobilization augmentee, how would you define what an IMA is and what type of role does one typically fill? So I can't believe you would suggest that uh, the term IMA is not in everyone's normal vernacular, right? <laughs> Uh, After today's podcast, it will be, sir. That's right. That's right. Uh, It's a unique role, actually, to serve as an IMA, uh, an individual mobilization augmentee. To give you an idea and perspective, there's around, and I'm going to use general numbers, 70 to 75,000 total reservists in the U.S. Air Force. And of that number, uh, only about 6,000 or so are IMAs. And the reason that is a separate category is it's typically a group of professionals that are technically proficient in a particular skill set. And the Air Force uses them uh, to effectively backfill and to mirror their active duty counterpart. Mm -hmm. It's different, right, than than a traditional reservist that potentially is in a unit that has its own actual mission set. So say a flying unit or something like that. Right, right. Uh, An IMA, and that's what we all are with OSI, uh, and there are 400 of us, give or take, in in the OSI program. Uh, are assigned to be a mirror to our active uh, duty side. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 the premise and the idea behind it was to be, have a ready, capable force that could augment uh, in time of war our active duty side that would deploy forward or vice versa, right? Or we would deploy forward in lieu of that active duty person. Right. Uh, so it effectively gave us a, a range of 400 persons that could take over uh, and help in any capacity for our active duty side. Wow. That's a, that's a pretty big responsibility. And uh, uh, again, with, like you said, 400 or so doing that, uh, they're a very uh, in, important cog uh, in the OSI uh, story, no doubt about that. Now, uh, sir, getting into your background just a little bit, uh, your biography lists you as being an IMA in five assignments within OSI and being the first ever IMA to the OSI executive director. Now, prior to joining OSI, you were a member of the Senior Executive Service for, uh, I believe, 10 years and ran a federal law enforcement agency. Now, how did that experience posture you for your transition to serve and be successful at such a consistently high level within OSI? Well, thank you again for the kind words. I, I um, To clarify, I was the IMA to the executive officer, right? The exec, <laughs> the front office versus not the executive director. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, okay. No, no, but that's okay. <laughs> I, I, have uh, to, I have to retype my notes. I'm sorry, but executive <laughs> officer, that's No, correct. not at all. Not at all. But it was a unique assignment, right? So that was um, from 2006 to 2010. And it just goes to show you um, 
what happened was is uh, uh, General Simmons uh, came uh, uh, into the commander position, and he had known me from uh, my time in Region 5 uh, after 9-11. Uh, where I was uh, activated uh, for him there. Mm-hmm. And so commanders do what commanders do, which is, uh, he said, hey, guess what? Uh, your new ass- uh, chance to uh, to excel will be with me here in headquarters. Right. <laughs> so he pulled me <laughs> into that position. Sure, uh, sure. But I think uh, one of the greatest things about the IMA program is this. 400, it's the greatest, greatest group of, of persons you'll ever encounter in that they are so diverse they have such an incredible background. All of them bring something unique to the OSI fight, a different perspective, a different job, a different background. Right. And so all of us add to the OSI uh, spirit, if you will, in terms of what we bring to the fight. Uh, so I've had a lot of uh, different positions and I've had a lot of executive experience. But to be honest with you, uh, th- that might help in the jobs I've had. But there are others out there that are crime scene technicians and teachers and lawyers and engineers yeah. that offer uh, such incredible backgrounds to the IMA program, uh, and they make it, all of them, uh, add to our capability in making it uh, better. So think about this. You know, normally in a, in a company or an agency, if you wanted to bring in a consultant from the outside to take a look at your program, you would pay thousands upon thousands of dollars to have that happen. Sure. When you take sure. a look at the IMA program, you're bringing in people that are professionals and are successful in their own right. And again, everything from sheriff's deputies to executives and agencies to head of industry to teachers to lawyers to engineers, all of those people come in and add their perspective on the OSI mission. So while they're trying to excel and and do well, of course, for OSI and its requirements, they're also another set of eyes and ears that as an active force you can rely on. And the most successful people, to get back to your question, the most successful people I have seen have taken the perspective uh, that their job is to, and I'm talking about the IMA, their right. job is to serve in any capacity we can help. And so in terms of my formula, it was really very easy. I went to my active duty counterpart, no matter what the job. And I said, I want you to look in your inbox and I want you to give me all the stuff that you don't want, all the things that you can't get to, all the things you don't have time, and right. let me let me help. Let me add my perspective and let me help uh, you become better. And it always works, right? So the active force, they have a ton of things to do, a ton of people pulling on their time. But if they have someone that's actively there to make them better, that's the formula that works. And in exchange, uh, the active duty side has the responsibility to take care of that IMA, uh, so that their career and their paper and their feedback and their performance reports all reflect that great effort. I see. Uh, that's sort of the symbiotic relationship between the two sides. Yeah, it sounds like a win-win situation, Colonel. I hope so. <laughs> now, uh, since you've been around OSI for some time, and I've worked with folks serving in different IMA capacities mm-hmm. as active duty members and civilians, how would you compare the two groups with each other? Uh, are they uh, 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 comparable? Yeah, so I think I offer a unique way to look at this. Um, I've been an OSI active duty member first, right? right. Uh, and then I became a civilian 1811, and then I became a reservist. And so um, I oh, can... Oh, sir, what, uh, for our uh, novice listeners, again, an 1811, is that, uh, would that be a special agent? Yeah, forgive me. I'm sorry. The, it's That's just right. the it's the job series for <laughs> a, a special okay. agent, right? Right. Um, and I, I think what I would tell you is, is that... 
all of them have the same set of overall goals and values, right? The active duty side has a job to do. They've got a, an in-garrison mission and an overseas deployed mission. The, the, the IMAs have an in-garrison expertise they're expected to know and then a deployable readiness responsibility. Mm-hmm. And the civilians are the exact same. Normally, they're more experts in what they do, but there's a tremendous civilian agent uh, population now. Like I think over 400, I think, is the number. That number, to be honest with you, in my time, and I, I've been in now for 28 years, uh, has uh, doubled, if I'm not mistaken, in terms of that number alone. Wow. And that number continues to go up, right, as, as OSI grows. Sure. But I, I think in terms of comparing the groups, it's, it's simply this. The, 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 the near term or the near target you have changes a bit when you're an active duty person. Uh, you know, it's the next deadline in your investigation or it's the sure. next uh, deployment. Uh, for civilians, it's the same sort of problem set. And the civilians, I think, have to balance, hey, am I going to volunteer to deploy or not? They've got that aspect. But there's so many different jobs and things they can go into. Right. The IMA, uh, it's, it's a lot like, hey, I've got to balance what I'm doing for uh, my active duty side. Uh, and then, of course, balance what they're doing in their civilian life. Uh, and yeah. that certainly is, is um, you know, you and I have sort of chatted that, about that. That's probably the biggest uh, challenge in terms of, of uh, comparison. Right, right. Now, uh, that, that segues perfectly, uh, Colonel, into my next question. Uh, recognizing that being an IMA at any level is difficult, uh, how do you manage it while still managing a civilian career? In other words, how do you strike that uh, key word again, balance, and still serve in the military with pride? Yeah, I think this is the hardest part, right? Because in order for you to be great at any one of these jobs, one side has to suffer. There is no such thing as being fantastic in your civilian job without having your OSI time or OSI side suffer a bit uh-huh. and vice versa. Um, you show me someone that can give you know, half the year over to OSI and I will show you. Uh, perhaps a civilian job that is the most ultimate in flexibility or a civilian job that misses you being there. And that's probably the case. Uh And so I, I, you know, don't tell my, um, (laughs) maybe this is a a secret I've I've kept, but, (laughs) but every, every person that ever came to work for me, especially on the federal law enforcement side, where I was, um, an executive for a federal law enforcement agency, every person that served in my agency that was a reservist, either an OSI or someplace else, my advice to all of them, and these are Marines and Army and Navy and all of them, was never forget your day job because your day job probably is the one that is going to feed your family. It is the most direct near-term risk and target. Right. Uh, So don't forget that that has to be a primary concern. Uh However... You have to also go to your civilian employer and say, look, I've got to be able to serve. And when there are certain challenges and issues that come up that are national security based and what I'm doing for my military career, I need your help and flexibility. And I think if you're open and honest with your civilian employer, they will work with you. Uh Um, That's not always the case, right? If you're a civilian and you're a salesperson and you're working on a team and there's three or four of you on a team, or maybe there's maybe you're only one deep. It is awfully hard for your your employer to figure out why they have to lose you for half the year. Yeah. So yeah. it is incredibly, incredibly hard. I always try to to um, set up my OSI side. I always set up uh, a balance by simply saying, "Like, look, this is my civilian job. These are the hours I normally work. Here's what I think I can do for you." 
does that help? Will it work with you? So for example, if you have a job that's, that's, you know, you're working Monday through Friday, 60, 70 hours a week, right. well then ask your OSI counterpart, look, can I do work for you on the weekends? Can I do work for you at night? How can I help you? Yeah. And can, can I do work for you on, and now my God, uh, with COVID, if nothing else, it's shown us what we can do in terms of work from home. Right. What can I do right. with my computer? How can right. I help your life better? There's no OSI debt commander out there, for example, that doesn't need help uh, in taking a look at written products and what we do for reporting that kind of thing. Uh-huh. Uh, there doesn't, there's not a manager out there that doesn't need help in performance reports. There's not a manager out there that doesn't need help in metrics and that kind of thing. There's right. always a way right. you can help. Right. Uh, and so the, the balance striking, I think, is understanding or getting both sides to understand how you're going to be pulled in the two separate directions. Well, Colonel, I guess then uh, would I be fair in, in, in this assessment by saying that is it fair to say that striking that balance uh, has been the most significant challenge that you faced as an IMA and OSI because of that time factor? It all boils down to time, and there's only so many hours in a day. Yeah, I, I think that is exactly right. And I, I've had more than one IMA come to me in their career with that pained look on their face. And I, I've seen it 100 times uh-huh. where they go, hey, I just got asked to do X, right? Some assignment, some TDY, something that's come up. Yeah. And, and it's not <clears throat> the pain in saying yes. It's the pain when the IMA has to say no, like, right. like I can't do it because whatever the reason is. Right. So I, I think that's telling because you, I just cannot emphasize how dedicated the IMA force is right. uh, to their mission and to OSI's mission in the United States Air Force. Uh-huh. And so when they can't help, you got to understand that is painful. Uh, and so I think in making sure the active duty side has, has, you know, the proper expectation of what these folks can do, I think uh-huh. is also important. Imagine this, and, and I would ask you this, if you're an active duty member uh, or a senior civilian, I want you to ask yourself, could you do your job, the job you do for OSI every single day, the number of hours it takes, oh, and do another one? Would you, wow. Could you do it twice? Because that's yeah. what you're asking when yeah. you're talking and, and, to an and be, and be honest about it, too. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So I think that's it. It's, it's another, it's setting expectations and then delivering. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing I'll say, I kind of forgot to say this part, too, because I think this is, again, a key to success on the IMA side. One of the goals I always uh, strive for is on the administrative side of the IMA, you need to be as invisible as possible, meaning right? That you take care of what you need to get done. And that means all of your training and LMS and all of the other readiness issues, you take care of that because you need to be a hundred percent help and support and hopefully 0% pain in the neck, right? That's, that's, that's not very balanced, is it? But the point (laughs) is, is that that's part of your job in the readiness side. Right, right. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's really a, it almost sounds like a double-edged sword almost, but uh, uh, when you, when you're able to pull it off, that must be a, uh, a really sense of satisfaction, which leads me to my next question. What's the most gratifying part of your job as an IMA within the Office of Special Investigations? I think the most gratifying part, and I would say across the board, every IMA probably has the same uh, thought, and that is being able to help being relevant. In other words, I want to have a set of skills that makes your life as an IMA, I'm sorry, make your life as an active duty or civilian OSI agent better. So when I was active duty, I remember 
I was kind of raised by my the old reservists that used to come uh, in into our debt. These were old detectives, and they were right, always right. they always shot expert. They were like these old <laughs> Clint Eastwood types that came in and knew everything. Right? They, you, right. you couldn't you couldn't get into a case that they hadn't seen before. Yeah. Um, and so it, to be that person for my active duty counterpart to help them to to make their job better, to be able to say like for example, my past job. Uh, as, a, as an executive with an agency, I could say, hey, guess what? You're working a case that I'm working or you have a case or a concern, say that PJ is working, but but I can also offer my agents to help you on the case. And again, the ability- sir, again, again, sir, PJ is special projects. Again, just for yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, forgive me. So like <laughs> when we have certain specialists like the special projects or, or, or fraud that are right. working a particular case, one of the most satisfying things is, is what can I bring to the fight? And not just me. Like, what can I bring for my agency to the fight? And that right. goes with any, any of the IMAs. They want to bring help to your uh, to that fight. And that's the most yeah. gratifying thing we can do for you. Very, very good. Now, sir, I've asked a previous uh, interview guest on this program why they consider diversity and inclusion to be kind of a foundational element to uh, the success of OSI. Now, you've earlier noted uh, many times uh, how valuable the IMA force is because it offers the, quote, ultimate in diversity, unquote. Now, could you explain a little bit more on that for us? Yeah, I, you know, you can tell, I hope that I'm very, very proud of the IMA force and, and the diversity it brings. And I don't even, I'm not, first of all, I'm not touching upon uh, the surface diversity, right? Uh, gender, right. Uh, background, that kind of thing. We, certainly we have that We're all walks, right? In, in the IMA force, but it's also the ultimate in diversity of thought, diversity of background, diversity of professional uh, pedigree. Right. There's everybody from lawyers to engineers to doctors. You just cannot imagine uh, the number of folks and their background. And so when I say the ultimate in diversity, I'm saying that you have you can't believe the diverse nature of what we can do as an IMA force. And it's everything from uh, pilots, literally, uh, to, to, again, engineers, to crime scene uh, specialists, to folks that do uh, specialization in particular crimes uh, or federal crimes, right. uh, or understanding business, understanding uh, the sales cycle, like understanding so many different things. Uh, and so when I say the ultimate in diversity, and again, this is where I think about, think of your IMA in some ways as a consultant, uh-huh. think about them as a way to look through, to look at your problem through a, a different set of eyes, uh, a diverse lens, if you will, right. uh, to tackle different problems. And I think that is exactly what they can do for you if you use them properly. Right. Now, Colonel, uh, in the past, it's been said uh, in jest uh, that IMA stands for I am alone. While in reality, the IMA force is a a prime example of the total force integration concept. Now, uh, that being said, uh, is there any merit at all to the idea of being alone as an IMA? (laughs) All right. So (laughs) this is kind of a, it may feel like it, right? In in fairness. Uh Um, So I think OSI, just so you know, too, this is an interesting little factoid. There's only two centralized centrally managed uh, reserve programs within the Air Force and the IMA side. Uh-huh. And that is us uh, and um, uh, the judge advocates, the JAG. Okay. And let me tell you what that means. Effectively, it means that we manage our own program to include uh, what we do for our DT side, right? Which is effectively our force development teams, right. uh, where we look for a, a, and, and try to mimic a normal 
career path as if you were active duty. And that includes schools, training opportunities, assignments. So that process works as if you were active duty. So it is a centralized program. But uh, you're also, as an IMA, by definition, you are an army of one, if you will, Uh because you are the mirror of your active side. So where there is some merit to that, I'll harken back to what I mentioned before. You alone are responsible for your readiness, right? Mm -hmm. You alone are responsible for getting your your quarterly shooting quals in, for making sure you're up to date in LMS, uh, for making sure all of your immunizations are done, your medical and your dental and all of that is Mm -hmm. done. That can be very lonely. It can be very frustrating. Uh, There is not one person that's uh, listening to our conversation that has not had frustrations in accessing IT systems they need for their job. Right. right. I, I promise you, if you gave me a quiz and tried to have me explain all the various different Air Force sites of where I'm supposed to know to go to get <laughs> training alone, I have no idea. Right. It's unbelievable. Sure. And it's a lot to ask. It really yeah. is. It's yeah. a lot to ask and it's ever changing. Uh, and when you couple that with cybersecurity requirements of today uh-huh. uh, and trying to get systems to work, or if, say, someone lives 100 miles away from a base just getting things done, it is very, very difficult. So oh, yeah. there yeah. is merit to the I am alone side because it can be a very lonely prospect trying right. to take care of all these things on your own. Now, that said, there is not one of us in that 400 person team that hasn't gone through the same frustrations. So I promise you, you're not the first person to have the problem you're having. So if I can suggest anything to the IMA force, reach out for help from your IMA supervisors in your chain and your active duty chain. And if they can't get you the answers they want, then you up channel it to us and to me, and we'll get you headed in the right direction. Very good advice, no doubt about that. Uh, sir, what direction do you envision OSI going into uh, the future from uh, your I- IMA perspective? Well, I don't have a crystal ball, but in the <laughs> discussions I have with, with the commander and, and previous commanders, you can see the numbers, right? The OSI as a command is, is rising in its, in its relevancy and its important and importance. There's not, a, there's not an event that happens uh, every single day that doesn't involve something that OSI is touching, uh, a lot of that has to do with our senior leadership has, has been com- very, very inclusive of the OSI uh, agent capability. And mm-hmm. um, because of that, uh, we're very, very popular. So right. as goes our active force, so goes the IMA side. So yeah. my thought in terms of going forward is you're probably going to see growth in the IMA side to mirror what we're doing on the active side. Don't know that for certain. It'll depends on what happens in ter- certain budget cuts from right, the reserve right, side. Right. Um, but it would not surprise me a bit if we don't see uh, some continued growth in the IMA force. Right. Okay. I guess uh, as in a lot of things, uh, Colonel time will tell on that as well. Now, uh, Let's uh, uh, kind of go back a little bit. Uh, if you could do it all over again, is there anything that you would change about your OSI career? I know hindsight's twenty twenty sometimes, and you don't have that crystal ball, but uh, uh, have you ever thought about that? And uh, would you change anything uh, on your road uh, through OSI? No, um, I don't think so, because I, I, I couldn't have scripted it. It's a lot like the path that a lot of our IMAs had. You're active duty for a while. 
And for whatever your story is, whatever your reason is, you decide you're going to go a different path. For me, I was going to go out and go completely civilian. Yeah. Um, I lasted for not even a full year before I wanted to just be back. And that's why I came back into PJ as a, as a civilian agent. Right. right. Um, but I never left the reserves and, and I'm so very, very glad I did not. And okay. so from that perspective, I would never leave that uniform behind. Uh -huh. um, I'm on year 28. So eventually they're going to push me out the door here. Yeah. Um, and I'll be happy to have, have served. And I'll tell you every single IMA I know has that same dedicated uh, feeling uh, towards the air force and their military career. So yeah. to be honest with you, I, I really don't have any regrets and I don't know that I would make any changes. Uh, I'm just happy to serve. Uh, and I hope that I'm continuing to be relevant to the OSI mission. Very, very good. Uh, now let's change to another hat, sir, if we can uh, quickly uh, to a recruiting hat. Uh, what advice would you give uh, to OSI active duty members who might be contemplating leaving active duty, but still would like to continue to serve the command as an IMA? What would you tell them? So I'll tell you this. Uh, this is tricky because um, when I left active duty, I was a, a captain. Mm -hmm. And it, frankly, with the IMA side in terms of what we recruit, right, whether it's enlisted or officer, doesn't much matter. It depends right. on at the time what we need. So your first step is to talk to the career field manager for enlisted and or officer and uh, then have them put you in touch with the, the uh, IMA uh, CFM, if that's different. On the officer side, it's different than the enlisted side. Right. But to be honest with you, I even see some improvements happening there under uh, the changes with force development. I think it'll all be sort of centralized. Find out what the IMA side is currently recruiting for. In other words, are they looking for master sergeants, tech sergeants? Are they looking for computer crimes or languages, okay. that kind of thing? Yeah. See yeah. what they're looking for. That can help inform your decision, right, if you're, if you're uh, contemplating the idea. Further then, understand that when you leave active duty, you have to go and basically reapply through a recruiter to come back into the reserve side. And ah, that involves a lot of the same kind of paperwork all of us went through in your MEPS process, right? And I yeah. believe... Uh, it's a, a separate physical. It's all these different things that you have to go through to go back in, believe it or not, even though you're currently serving. Wow. So some of it will feel a bit redundant and you basically then have to reapply to come back into OSI and then they pick you up. Uh, I, I, I will tell you a story. When I came out of active duty, I, I think I'm remembering this properly. I think the Colonel who was the RA at the time was a Colonel Bearden, I think. Now the RA again is a resource advisor. Is the reserve advisor, reserve right? Advisor, the I'm the, sorry. the yeah. position that currently Colonel Peterson is in, okay. uh, Adrian Peterson. Right. So, th I think I the, the conversation went something like this, um, sir. I'm 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 thinking about getting out of active duty. What would you say my chances are in terms of coming into the IMA program? And the response was, uh, Doug, I believe you have a snowball's chance in hell. <laughs> so, <laughs> It's a fact. Well, and that so, was pretty and, direct. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> well, listen, I appreciate the matter of fact, but but here I am. So in other words, I, I said, well, thank you, sir. And I still put together a package and I still applied yeah. uh, and I still got picked up. So don't sure. give up. Uh, put the package together. Work with your you, you have to go through a recruiter and make that happen. And then and then your, your name uh, will sort of uh, come to the top in terms of a decision. Now, uh, let me tell you this. 
you have a much better chance at, at getting in if you're in a rank that we're recruiting for. So if you're a yeah. captain and we're looking for captains, great. If you're a major, we're looking for majors, great. But that changes all the time. That's the nature of the reserve force, isn't it? Yeah. We're supposed yeah. to be that relief valve or the spigot, if you will, that when the Air Force needs help, we can respond. Sure. So so that changes the, the complexion of what we're looking for could change year to year. Uh, so just wow. stay in tune with that and that can help you uh, inform your decision. Very, very good advice. No doubt about that. Uh, Colonel, before we wrap things up uh, today, is there anything else that you'd like to add? I, I think uh, I want everybody to, to, to hopefully, if I can leave you with a couple of thoughts, know that, that the IMA force is just about the greatest uh, asset uh, OSI could have in terms of a, a ready force uh, that offers skills uh, that would be the envy of any agency or company. And they want to help. Uh, sometimes the trick is finding uh, times because everybody's life ebbs and flows in terms of what they do. Uh, so be patient, right? There might be some times when they can't uh, answer that call. Right. Uh, but don't let that stop you if you're an active duty person for asking for the help uh, because you just never know in terms of what's happening in the IMA life uh, that they can uh, uh, help you when needed. Uh, and then I think conversely, if you're an active duty member, uh, put yourself in their shoes just a bit. Think about how hard you work and the number of hours you work uh, and then try to do that twice and think about trying to sort of create an entire second career. Right. And I would say again to the active duty side, if you value what your IMA is providing you and, and they are giving you that selfless service uh, and that dedication that you like, then repay that and repay that by giving them good uh, evaluations and help them build a good successful career. Right. And again, for your IMAs, I've said it before, uh, at the top of this discussion, you want to be as invisible as possible when it comes to uh, the administrative tail uh, in taking care of an IMA. And you can do most of this on your own if you put your mind to it. It's hard, very, very hard, but you can do it. And you want, you, you want your existence to be that of complete service to that active duty component. If right. you can dedicate yourself to that thought, uh, you'll go very, very far in the program. Yeah. Carl, it sounds like, uh, you know, the IMA program uh, is the, the quintessential uh, dual-hatted person, if you will. Is that a pretty fair statement? That is for sure. Maybe more than dual, maybe three or four hats. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Our guest has been Colonel Doug Hassebrock, Individual Mobilization Augmentee to the Commander of OSI. Sir, thanks again for taking the time to be with us. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate the opportunity. And thanks to all of you listening for tuning in. For OSI Today, I'm Wayne Amon saying so long for now.